Again, good morning. Are y'all sure you're awake? Let's try it again. Good morning. So much better. It is, it is a good morning to be here with you, especially on the day when we get to celebrate two baptisms, Margaret and Elliot. This is a fantastic life, a moment in the life of the church. And I, um, I told the, the mothers and the, and the fathers a moment ago that the, they're given a bag and it has a letter and a certificate and a, and a bl- baby blanket that is also included and given to each baby that is baptized here. And our knitting group does that. Every Tuesday morning they get together in our church and they knit together prayer shawls and baby blankets. And for every child that is baptized in this church receives one of these blankets. So we hope you'll take that home and and know that that um, blanket was was knitted together with prayers and thoughts uh, for newborn children. And so for Margaret and for Elliot, we offer our prayers uh, for you through your life. Um, It's just a... It's a powerful moment to be up here, to be able to celebrate a, a sacrament in our church and to be able to hold a child and, and to be able to pour, as much as they don't like it always, pour water on their head. Sometimes the water's a little cold, so it's kind of a jolt, but nobody's hurt. Everybody's welcomed into the church. It's a great moment. Now, the church is filled with all kinds of great moments. Um, you know, it was, I think it was a Monday morning in 2011, and I was going to going to work. I was working at uh, Dothan First, and I met this church. And I received a phone call as I was stepping into the car. I'll never forget this. Um, I was, had just got. I didn't even turn the car on. I had just stepped into the car, and I got a phone call on my on my cell. And so I I answered the the call, and it was my district superintendent. And he said, uh, "Good morning. Hope you're doing well. I just wanted to call." Um, we're making calls today, and I wanted to reach out and let you know that the bishop is appointing you uh, to Trinity United Methodist Church in Fort Walton Beach, and you will uh, receive a call from the Pensacola District Superintendent later today. And I was like, oh, okay. Great moment in the life of the church. Great moment in my life. I had never heard of Trinity, first, Trinity Methodist Church in Fort Walton Beach. I'd only been through Fort Walton Beach one time in my life, and that was passing through to get to Okaloosa Island. That's all. I had no clue that there was such a place. I had no idea who was there, what it was about. Nothing. Mid-morning, I got a call from the district superintendent in Pensacola, and he said, good morning, how are you today? Hope things are going well. It's going. I said, it's going great. And he goes, I guess your district superintendent told you you were going to get a call from me today. And I said, yeah, he, he, he did. He said, I'm just calling to welcome you to the Pensacola District and to let you know that you're being appointed to Trinity, Fort Walton Beach. It's a wonderful church. He goes through this whole uh, litany of wonderful things about Trinity, Fort Walton Beach. I still didn't know anything about it. He said, well, they've had a long line of wonderful pastors there, great preachers. Tom Butts was there. Wesley Walker was there. John Bonner was there. I'm like, oh, okay. Great line of preachers. And you're, you're calling me. I see. He goes, it's a, it's a strong church. You're going to find that the, the lady there is a strong, strong lady. Dwayne Keck is a member of that church. And I'm like, ah, if you say so. He said, um, you can ask John Bonner about this. That this church, he, he once said that if you don't, you can lead this people and they will follow you. 
But if you don't lead them, they will run you over because they're going somewhere. They're going to do something. And I said, okay. I think I, I, think I, I get it. He goes, no, you don't, you don't really get it. This is a, this is a really good church. And um, he said, you know, they have, a, they have a soup kitchen. Every day, five days a week, they feed over 100 people right through their church building. 100 people a day. I said, okay, it sounds awesome. They have a preschool ministry. They have a parsonage. He goes through the whole thing. And, and, and so I began to, after that phone call, I said, well, I need to find out what is really, what's really going on at this church because I've, I've gotten two phone calls from district superintendents. I want to know what's really going on. And so I called around and I heard the same echoes. Oh, it's a strong church. I talked to John Bonner. Strong, either lead or get out of the way because they will run you down. Okay, I got it. Lead or get out of the way. It's a, it's, a, it's a great place to preach. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful congregation. It's a loving congregation. It's a friendly congregation. Does this all sound familiar to you? We can say the same thing about this church. And on one morning, I was in New Orleans. We were on family vacation, and I was in the parking lot of the zoo in New Orleans, and I got a phone call from my district superintendent in the Pensacola district, and he said, you're being appointed to Ashland Place. It's a great church. You're going to love it. Well, I had heard of Ashland Place. I'd actually seen Ashland Place years before when Lawson Bryan brought me here. He goes, this is the most beautiful church in the entire conference. It's hidden. No one knows about this. Where do you see it? It's a great church. You're going to love it. He drove me here. We walked around. I'm like, man, this is, this is a Methodist church in, in Alabama? It is. It's a beautiful place. I began to think about, well, who, who's the line? Well, I knew Lawson was here. I knew Wes Walker was here. I'm like, well, I knew Paul Wolf was here. I knew there's a long line of highly respected preachers that come through here. And I remember seeing, and I went to annual conference that year, the year that I was being appointed here, and I saw Wesley Walker at conference, and I went up to him and I said, I said, Wes, I have a question for you. He goes, yeah, what is it? I said, I'm, as you know, I'm going to add. He goes, yeah, congratulations. It's a great church. I said, yeah, I, I, I know. I said, I'm a, I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous. He goes, why is that? He goes, well, you were there. Lawson was there. They've had some great preachers. I'm a little nervous. He goes, you go there and be yourself. Let that church be, its, be itself, and you'll be fine. So that's what I've tried to do for five years. Now, going into my sixth year, here's the interesting thing about going back to Fort Walton Beach. I heard all these stories, how great it was, how active it was, how strong it was. This reputation well preceded it. So I got a phone call a couple of weeks after my district superintendent phone call, and it was the... The, the chair of the Staff Parish Relations Committee, his name was John Bosick. He called it, introduced himself, and said, I just want to call on the chair of the SPR, and I want to call, introduce myself. Um, uh, they called me Bosco. One day I'll tell you why. I said, okay. He said, I'd like to schedule a time for you and I to get together, sit down, and just chat and get to know each other, just to have a meet and greet. I said, okay. I said, when do you think? Is it next week or so? Whenever you got some time? I said, well, I've got a lot going on for the next week or two, maybe the third week I can drive down and we can, we can meet. And he goes, no, I'm not asking to drive anywhere. 
I said, well, you want to you get together, right? He goes, yeah, this well before Zoom. There was no, there was no virtual meetings going on. He said, no, I, I, I have a plane. I'll look for any excuse to fly. I'll just fly over to Dothan and we'll get together. I said, okay, great, whenever you want to meet. So he flew up and told me all about the church, echoing the same things I had heard again and again and again. But sometime in May, we had scheduled a meeting for me to actually show up at, um, at Trinity to meet the Staff Parish Relations Committee. And so Leanne and I and our two children got in the car the night before and drove over to Fort Walton Beach to kind of scout things out, to kind of canvas the area and make sure we were, knew what we were kind of getting into. It never hadn't, didn't have a clue. So we drove around and went and got a hotel room. And the next morning we got up and that afternoon we were going to have a meeting with the with the district superintendent and the SPR committee. And so we met the district superintendent at Starbucks and got a cup of coffee and had a little chat, and he echoed again everything I've been hearing. This reputation was just out there. And I said, great, we'll meet you at the church. So we drove over to the racetrack road and pulled into the parking lot. There were maybe a dozen cars there at the most, and we drove around, and there were no cars in the side parking lot, and we pulled in, and just his car and my car, and we... And we get out, and he goes, normally this parking lot's full for meetings. I'm not sure what's going on. And so let's go inside. We usually meet in this classroom right here in the education building. We'll go right there, and we'll see who's here. We walked into this room. Not a soul. I had to turn the lights on. And we could hear some people in the fellowship hall. They were breaking down tables and cleaning up, and they'd had Wednesday night supper that night. And the youth group, you could hear the youth group on the other side of the building. They were doing whatever youth groups do. So we got the youth leader and with our two children, and they took off. And our district superintendent went and looked for people, find out where the SPR was actually meeting. Funny thing happened, not, not really funny, but a strange thing happened that day is that um, Chip Hale had a heart attack. Christina Hale, his daughter, was the associate pastor there. And she and the senior pastor had all driven to Pensacola to be with Chip and his family. And SPR never got word that there was a meeting. And so there we were. Me and people cleaning up from Wednesday night supper. They began to make phone calls to get a couple other people to show up. And finally, uh, the senior pastor showed back up and we had about three people from the SPR meeting and we sat down and chat and got a tour of the building and they took us to the parsonage. That was an odd, odd occasion, a strange moment to have this incredible reputation kind of going out in front of me. This is where Dwayne Keck is. This is where all these things happen. This is a struggle. And all of a sudden, nobody's there. It was a blip on the radar screen. But it felt so strange because I knew what this church was supposed to be, Trinity. Finally, in June, we arrive on our first, actually July, our first Sunday, and they showed up. And on Monday, following that first Sunday, I watched that soup kitchen in action as they fed maybe 80 people on a July noontime meal. And I watched that 
church grow. I watched God do incredible things. And I watched that strong laity follow and lead. And I watched Dwayne Keck. Finally met the man. And I watched him lead. Sometimes I led, and sometimes I got run over. But it's a strong church with a solid reputation. Even when I had that experience of showing up to an empty meeting. It's it's important. Our reputations can be important. They may not be the most important thing in our life, but they can certainly help us out. They can certainly bolster us when we stumble along the way. And that's what I saw at Trinity. That's what I saw at Dothan First Methodist when I was there. Another church with a strong reputation, a solid reputation, well-deserved reputation. And that's what I found here for five years. A strong church. Caring church, a friendly church, a welcoming church, a church with a solid reputation, a church that takes care of itself, a church that is known in its community for its influence, for its power, for its position, for its beauty, for its kindness. Every week we feed a hundred families, at least we were before COVID, and we're growing back into that through the Joseph Project. Our reputation goes before us, and it can help us, and it can protect us when we stumble. I learned that at Trinity. I learned it at Dothan First. I learned it throughout my life. I just want to say that because it helps me to help helps us understand what's going on in this letter of Colossians. It helps me understand life itself. That communities, groups, churches spend lifetimes developing a reputation. Good reputations. And sometimes they just stumble. Sometimes they run into conflict. But this reputation that is well earned, that is solid, can push them over the top. To get them over the hurdle. To get them over the conflict and the issue. And that's what we have in Colossians. In this letter of Colossians... Paul is writing to a young church. This is not a church that Paul started. This is not a church that he had visited. The church in Colossae was a small church. The town of Colossae was an insignificant town. It was very small. It used to be a, um, a, 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 a solid town. It used to be a big town. It used to have some status. But over time, as Laodicea and Hierapolis grew along the trade route, Colossae, which was just off the trade route, began to falter, began to decline in population, began to decline in influence, began to decline in finances. It, Colossae completely disappears from the map in the early 60s when there was a devastating earthquake that just wiped it out. 
It wiped out a lot of cities in that area, in that river valley. Laodicea, 10 miles away on that trade route, had the population, had the wherewithal, had the will and the finances to rebuild. Colossae did not. Colossae just disappeared. That's, that's the town that this little church was located. And so we, we have Paul writing to this town, to this, to this church. It's in this church that we find Epaphras. He's the leader of the church. He's the evangelist who started the church. He's a colleague of Paul. It's also the place where Philemon lived, where Onesimus lived. In this small little church, in this small little town, there's a lot of influence because there's a lot of echoing, a lot of reputation spreading out into that river valley, into the empire. As we enter this sermon series, Four Days in Colossae, I want us to think first about who, who Paul was writing to. It's a small little church in an insignificant town that's facing some serious problems. This letter was written to a particular church for a specific problem. What problems they were, we're not real sure. But that's the case with all of Paul's letters. We don't have the letters that Paul received. We just have Paul's letters. He's answering the questions. So we have to kind of discern exactly what's happening. What is the issue? What is the problem? What's the question? Fortunately, in the way letters are constructed, we can begin to make headway, make a little bit of sense as to what's going on in Colossae. We're going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 1 this morning. The first two verses are, is the greeting. It's an important greeting. It's very typical for Paul. He tells, he introduces himself, and he greets those whom he's writing. But he does something very important in this particular greeting. He does it in other greetings as well, just not every greeting. He identifies himself with the status of an apostle. He doesn't always do this. He does this when there's an issue, when there's a conflict, when there's competition in teaching, competition in leadership in the church. In the next several verses, the next 12 verses, is the prayer of thanksgiving, another typical element of Paul's letters. And it's in... This, this prayer of thanksgiving, begin to, we begin to see what the problems are. Get glimpses of what the problems are. And we're, we're given a glimpse as to where Paul wants to take the church. What he wants them to know. What he wants them to remember. What he wants them to embrace. How he wants them to live. So I invite us now to hear these first 14 verses of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God... And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word, in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And may God bless the reading of the word. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes this claim because he knows there are others who are making other claims that will oppose him as a leader. These others are false teachers, and they have been bringing together wisdom and philosophy and different practices of religion from pagan religions throughout the empire, and they're collapsing in on this church in Colossae. And they don't try to just uproot the Christian faith, the practice of the Christian religion. They don't do that. They try to bring these other practices, these other philosophies and wisdoms alongside and equal to faith in Christ, faith in Christ alone. That's the problem. It's that these false teachers are bringing in knowledge that they say is necessary for a faithful life. Knowledge that's beyond, beyond the, the faith in Christ, beyond the knowledge of the Lord. There are practices and prayers that they know about and are leading the congregation astray. Prayers to other spirits, prayers to angels, practices that are opposed to the Christian faith. But they bring them alongside and equal to. And the threat becomes that Jesus becomes just another way. Just another avenue to a faithful life, a true life. Another avenue into the light. Paul hears about this and writes with the reputation of an apostle one who has walked alongside, met Jesus Christ, one who has been called by God to proclaim the good news. And his reputation as an apostle, he cannot go along with this false teaching. And so he writes to warn them. And he, as he writes... He offers this prayer of thanksgiving 
that he is praying for them and he gives thanks for their faith and their hope and their love. Love of the saints, hope in the future and faith in the one true Lord, Jesus Christ. And he gives thanks that their faith, that their life is echoing the word of God, the truth in their community, just as Christ and the truth is being echoed throughout the whole world. That this truth and this faith, this hope and this love is coming up in them, through them, and being woven into their communities. Just as the churches are doing all over the empire. And Paul has seen it. He has seen the darkness in the world. And he has seen the light of faith, hope, and love. Sparkling bright lights in a otherwise dark world. And he knows that the source of that light, the source of faith, the source of love and hope, true hope, is in Christ and Christ alone. And he reminds the church all that Epiphras had taught them and the ways that he leads them. And he lays claim to the reputation that is spreading and growing like a beautiful garden in Colossae. Just as this garden is growing all over the empire, through the work of the church, through the presence of Christ, faith, hope, and love. That's what he recalls. That's what he reminds them. And that's their reputation. It precedes them. He just needs to remind them of the work that has happened in and through them for their world, for his world, for our world. So sometimes we have this incredible reputation as individuals and as churches, as communities. Sometimes we have to be reminded that we have this reputation for a reason. That work has been done, work is being done, work will be done. Work that looks like and feels like faith, hope, and love. All empowered and strengthened by Christ and Christ alone. Paul will remind the church as he reminds us that Christ is all we need. Christ is sufficient. This letter, we will, as we continue to read over the next four days, four Sundays, we're going to see that Paul has a very highly developed Christology. This was written probably late in his career. He was imprisoned in Ephesus or probably even Rome. This was late. His faith, his understanding of the faith, his understanding of Christ was well-developed. And he'll, he'll lay this out for the church to remind them that Christ and Christ alone is all they need. There are no other practices. There are no other prayers. There are no other wisdoms and philosophies and knowledge that they need. Christ alone is the source of faith, is the source of hope, is the source of love, true love. So that's what we enter into today. No matter what we face, as individuals, as families, as communities, as a church. Christ alone is sufficient. Christ alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.